Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the Tangent Town Football Podcast. There was episode 20. It got lost in the internet somewhere, so we do apologize for that. But technolo- technology seems to be working again. We are back, and as per usual, I'm here with Kieran. So how are you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good. Chelsea are back to winning ways. We have remembered how to score again, so that makes me feel really good. <laughs> and uh, Stefan El Sharawi has just scored a delightful little dink. Um, oh, good. I'm 15 seconds behind yep, you. So. so enjoy. Keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Luke and I are, are watching Inter Roma while recording this. Um, just, you know, keeping our keeping our, our viewing continental as always. That was actually just a straight kick out for the goalie. That's a really good goal. Uh, oh, that's tidy. Yeah. So let's, uh, yeah, let's let's move on then. Um, we'll start the weekend with Chelsea. They were the, they were the early fixture on Saturday. Um Chelsea won. Thank God. And, Chelsea did win. And they scored. <laughs> Thank God. Um, Hazard was mercurial as always. Uh, I should yeah. no, you know, I shouldn't say as always because he hasn't been lately. Um, Thierry Henry said post-match, it was really funny to see. He said uh, against Leicester, Chelsea struggled. And they, they didn't score and, and Hazard had a really poor game. And then midweek he was dropped, and by dropped really he was rested against Norwich, and then he came on late. But um, he was rested against Norwich, and then he came out Definitely. yesterday, and he was the best player on the pitch against Brighton. He was dominant. He was ruthless, which is rare for him. He's usually not so cutthroat in the final third, and he he mm-hmm. kept going, kept looking to score, kept looking to set people up, and it was good to see. Uh, definitely, I thought that I had like a weird kind of thought on Chelsea's performance because it wasn't like it wasn't an immaculate Chelsea performance 4-0 flattered us yeah where you've completely shredded a team for 90 minutes but what it was was super surgical it was clinical where it, it, it was clinical. yeah we're, you we're, decided when to turn it on when to turn it off up the field down the field yeah. it didn't matter you were gonna dominate that game when you chose to dominate that game which was really impressive to be honest yeah um I was a little bit disappointed with um Marcus Alonso, and I was a little bit disappointed with Conti in that um, the left side of the pitch, we got roasted all game. Like Alonso really struggled, and yeah, for sure. And when we play three four three, it's this is something we see because Hazard plays off of the left. The left wing back kind of gets left on an island sometimes. At least when we play the three five two, the left center mid can go help. Um, mm-hmm. Which whatever I understand, and and I think the three four three, it's good to have it back, back in the rotation, especially given, um, given that we, okay, the the way I see it is when we play three up front, it l- brings the whole team higher up the pitch. You have Hazard, William, and Bashwai slash Morata pressing higher which makes it harder for the other team to build up. And when it's harder for them to build up, it lets Bakayoko, Conte, and the wingbacks get involved a little bit earlier. And then when they're getting involved earlier, we're winning it high up the pitch and we're creating chances on the break, which was so crucial to how we played last year. Um, and now I look and you watch the game. The first goal uh, is just like good Chelsea play and then across it gets deflected Hazard's finish. But the second one, Conte wins in midfield. And the front three break with some unbelievable link-up play. And then they score. Then the third goal, it's the exact same thing. It's they win the ball. Batshuayi wins the ball. 
uh, sorry, Willian wins the ball, first time pass, slides Hazard through, and then he breaks and somehow makes four defenders drop without touching the ball. And then they score. And then the fourth goal is just a good goal, but it's having the ability to actually hurt teams on the break other than it just being Maratta and Hazard kind of going alone is nice to see. Yeah. It kind of like the fourth goal as well highlighted the perk of having Victor Moses as your wide wing back, right? Like, well, it's it's funny you say that because like that's his first goal in the Premier League in fourteen months. Yeah, it is. Like he's obviously not a big scoring threat, but it's just like when he gets into those positions, he still has. Yeah, he's still a attacker's instincts. It, it's he's still going to bring it down, know where the net is. To me, a big part of why we we've struggled more this season is that Moses has been really poor for the most part. Um, I mean, last mm-hmm. year he was a huge danger coming in at the back post, arriving late, um, and also like getting into further advanced positions and making those runs. Like he really hasn't made that this season. Um, and Alonso has scored, but Alonso has mostly been off of set pieces. Um, mm-hmm. So it's good to see that that's being added back in. I still think wing back is a position of need. Um, especially given the fact that Alonso basically can't rotate with anyone. The only player he rotates with is Kennedy, who looks like he's off to Newcastle on loan. Um, and I guess that segues into the next real comment for Chelsea is, uh, what what are they doing in January? It's like, I don't know. Like, what's the What's the biggest rumor that you guys have right now? The biggest rumor right now is probably the Jekko and Emerson duo deal. Basically, a secondary striker that's big and physical. Yeah, so it's it's Bechwai playing in the front three was actually really decent. He he wasn't asked to play. Mm-hmm. When we play two, Bechwai gets asked to play this target man hold up role where he can link up with Hazard, and that's just not him um, at all. He, he's much more mobile, and he's much better at just playing. Like he's just moving around, finding space, looking to score. That's kind of when he's at his best rather than being that focal point. And playing in the 3-4-3, he was a little bit too selfish and made some poor decisions, but he was much better than he has been in, in recent months. And then... Well, it's because Hazard's got to link up with William, right? Like Exactly. Those two naturally, and Fatuari just got to step in and don't lose the ball when it comes to it. Exactly, much and, and I goal. think he was really good in terms of the one-touch link-up play. You look at William's goal, it's pretty perfect. It's unbelievable. Um, and, and so then the the Jekko deal comes in and say, okay, well, now you're adding a player that's much more in the mold of Maratha. He's not the quickest, but his hold of play is pretty stellar. He's good in the air. He's a nice option if you want to play a duo. Um, Knows how to play in the Premier League. Yeah, he's a, he's a Premier League player, so that's that's not an issue. He's been pretty prolific the past two years. He's he's gotten off to a coldish start this year, and he's he's only got three goals in his last ten or eleven, um, which is like not terrible, but not great either. Um, and it's an it's an interesting deal. the The more interesting part of the deal to me is that it looks like it's Dzeko and Emerson Palmieri, who's the left wing back slash left back from Roma. Um, he's, Brazil- yeah. he's Brazilian born, but is declared for Italy and has, has a few caps for Italy now. Um, he is someone who a year ago, basically a year ago, 
was like one of the hottest wingback talents in Europe. Like he is an unbelievable passer of the ball. He's fast. He's strong. He's a great dribbler. He's better in the air than you would expect. He's a serviceable tackler. He's a great crosser of the ball. Like he's in an attacking sense, he's fantastic, and he's good enough defensively. And he was okay. really, really good. And then he tore his ACL. And uh, Chelsea have a something, th- something. Fayuzi Yeah, Chelsea have a thing for players who have torn their ACL. That 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 was the thing with Rudiger as well. Um, and so he's just kind of coming back into the Roma fold, but he's struggled to get time because Alexander Kolarov has been so good this year. Um, yeah. Now, what's interesting about this is that um, it, it seems like it's a package deal where the two of them are going to be 50 million euros. There will be some amount of bonuses on top of that that realistically probably won't be attained. Um, and Chelsea are going to send Batshuayi the other way on loan. Okay. Um, so I think that's a smart deal. It's going to get Mishi minutes ahead of the World Cup, which is good for him. If he learns to play the way it seems like all Roma attacking players do and the way that Salah was so good, Dzeko has been so good, um, I think that'll be. Shawari's really re- re- reinvigorated his career. Yeah, so I think that'll be. I think that would be really good for him. Um, I think it makes sense. Uh, it's it's weird. People were talking about this on the Chelsea Reddit. Is my perception of the deal is really dependent on how much of that money is for Emerson and how much of that money is for Jekyll. Because if it's twenty five twenty five, I'm like that's kind of high for a thirty one year old Jekyll. Um, and it's very uncharacteristic of Chelsea in terms of they basically don't buy old players. Yeah. Um, we haven't paid money for a player over 30 um, since, like, I, I actually, no, we haven't. We haven't signed, we haven't paid money for anyone over 30 in probably seven, eight years, um, which is insane. But uh, it, I think I think Emerson is an exceptionally talented player. Uh, Ted Nutson, who I'm a big fan of, he's a guy who runs Stats Bomb. He used to work for Brentford and Magiland. He earmarked Emerson, and, and so his company does consulting for European teams. He earmarked Emerson as a city target at fullback before they bought Benjamin Mendy. So, I mean, like... We're talking about when you're looking at his radars, like his radar is a circle. Yeah. <laughs> the guy fills that statue. Yeah. Like he legitimately, like if we're talking about like area of the, the thing, it's like 80% full. Um, That's obnoxious. Yeah. And and the big thing to me that, that is a real draw is he's able to play left back and left wing back. Yeah. So he adds that versatility, which is a big thing in Chelsea's squad. Basically, every player can play two positions. Yeah, definitely. So that's the biggest deal. Um, I don't even want to like give the time of day to all the stupid Crouch Ashley Barnes rumors. I think the Carroll talk was legitimate when it was a loan deal, but I don't think Chelsea were interested permanently. Not for a twenty-nine-year-old injury-plagued striker who has like just wouldn't really fit the club ethos. He would be good as a loan deal, I think, as a third option. But there's not much more to it than that. Definitely. Um, let's move on. Um, yeah. Who do we want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about Arsenal? Uh, since yeah, we'll jump to Arsenal. Um, so they smashed Palace. 
But Palace played one of the worst lineups I've ever seen in the Premier League. All of their best players are injured, except for Zaha. <laughs> um, I'm also really happy that all this talk of, oh, Zaha needs to go to a top six club has cooled off. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think he's that good. We'll just let him play for a bit. If he can prove it, then he can prove it. But he's been at a top six club, and his attitude was not there. Maybe he's grown up a bit in the past few years. For sure. I, but... I think, uh, to me, he's just like... He reminds me so much of Yannick Bellassi. Like I think he's better than Bellassi. I think he's a much better finisher. Um, and I think his end product is better. And I think he's probably more consistent than Bellassi. But like, I look at it, and it's just... I, I Why would any top six club take a chance on him? Well, it's also in the sense that we've talked about where he would fit. And, like, you look at the teams, he's not really going to fit anyone right now in the sense that he's going to go in and make an immediate difference, only, which is what people are expecting. The, the only the only club we said that he would be even remotely suitable for is Spurs. Yeah. And Spurs is... Like, he's not better than any... Like, okay, he's probably as good as some of their players, but, like, he's so dribble-heavy, and he's so, like, everything has to go through him for him to be useful. I just... Yeah, because he's useless off the ball. Oh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't really make runs or anything like that, so I don't know. Um, Focusing on Arsenal, uh, looks like Sanchez is off, which we'll talk about later. Looks like Uh, Mkhitaryan is in for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Looks like Oba is most likely in. Yeah. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this an upgrade in talent? A downgrade in talent? Um, I think it's interesting. Like, it's a really good shakeup in the sense that Arsenal seem committed to playing a three-four something. Yeah. So, in the sense that if you're going to get some consistency in your defensive line, you're probably looking at Monreal, Koscielny, Mustafi across the back three. Mm-hmm. And then Bellerin's got that spot on the right lockdown. Jack Wilshere in good form in the middle. How long is that last? Um, I don't know. There's so many things that could stop Jack Wilshere staying in good form. He could get injured. He could get transferred. He could not sign an extension and leave on a free that no one wants him. Like, there's so many variables surrounding Jack Wilshere, but in good form, he walks into that starting eleven. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to hypothetically keep him there based on the fact that he's playing well. Um, alongside him, you have you could play Xhaka, you could play Elneny, you could play Ramsey. They all have their weaknesses. Um, but then you've got this weird, like, you could either play Ozil as a solo center forward and then in behind... Laka and Aubameyang, and just let Ozil pick passes for that pace. Really? I could see it happening. Or you could play Ozil on the right as, as like a right forward, uh, Mkhitaryan as a left forward, and just let them kind of cycle through and feed Aubameyang. And behind, Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang, I believe, played together very well at Dortmund. Yeah. They know each other. They expect they, they can read each other well, which is going to be huge. Um... But I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think they basically stay on par if you look at every aspect of the transfer. Like, wages going out, attitude going out, player coming in, you get a tangible return rather than money that you then have to go spend. I don't know. It's a really weird deal. 
here's here's my here's my opinion. I think getting Mkhitaryan and getting Aubameyang are terrible decisions. <laughs> because well, here's the thing: Wenger has a year and a half left in his contract. He probably should have gone last year. He definitely should go this summer. If, yeah. If he gets another year, he gets another year. But he shouldn't. Um, here's my thinking is that why would you lock yourself into 400,000 pounds a week in wages for two 29-year-olds who you have no idea if your next manager after Wenger is going to like? One of whom, yeah. one of whom has shown almost nothing to suggest that they're going to reproduce their Dortmund form in England. And the other thing, we look at Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan had one really good Dortmund season and two, like, good yeah. Dortmund seasons. But then before that, like, at Shakhtar, he was just good. Like, he wasn't ground. He wasn't outstanding, yeah. So, like, is he a 200,000-pound and and no he's not 35 million pound player i'm not sure and then i remember looking into him when he first went to Dortmund. he developed a huge reputation for being a practice player where he was brilliant in practice and that's why he kept getting minutes and he translated to a game in no way i well i think he's really good like i think he's he's a good player i just don't know if that's i i'm not sure that that's the best decision and then we look at Aubameyang, you're looking at he's going to be 29 and he's going to be asking for a shitload of money and he relies mostly on his pace and movement off the ball. There were, there are, yeah. this is something I heard today. There were six Dortmund games last season where he had less touches than Roman Berkey. <laughs> six. No. Not one. Not one. Six. And that's and, and that's not because like Dortmund are some like super tiki taka team that keeps the ball at the back. Like he just really doesn't get involved unless he's scoring, which is fine. There's lots of players like that. Bastos scored a hat trick on like ten touches last weekend, but yeah. there's a limit. Like uh, the way Arsenal played, their striker does have to get involved. Otherwise, why wouldn't you just keep Olivier Giroud and play him? Yeah. There is rumors Giroud goes back the other way. See, to me, that I, I, deal. I don't know. I feel like there's been one swap deal now because of the sanchez Mkhitaryan thing, and everyone's gone mental, and there's going to be – it yeah, fuels every swap deal forever. Um, but I, basically what, what I think should have happened – and, I mean, it's hard to say this because it's uh, – who knows what turns out, but – why wouldn't you have sold Sanchez in the summer for eighty million or seventy million or whatever people were offering if you were just gonna take Mikatarian for him now? It's not like what he's given you over half a season has been worth it. No. And unless you unless you were like, okay, maybe he'll he'll resign, like then that's just foolish. Like, come on. So I, I, I think that's stupid. Like I think that was genuinely just bad club management and then now you're talking about basically you're spending 50 million on Aubameyang you're spending all of Sanchez money on Mkhitaryan and Oba's wages do you re-sign Ozil 
if not, not then, if not, then you're seriously thin. Uh, I mean, why wouldn't you let them all go? Why wouldn't you sell Ozil, sell Sanchez in the summer? Not buy Aubameyang, not buy Mkhitaryan. Don't I wouldn't even have bought Lamar, and then sack Wenger last summer, and let the new guy come in with three hundred million pounds to do whatever he wants. I mean, you've appointed you've appointed like some of the best executives in football to come in and and help you get deals done, and in terms of player recruitment, and. Uh, like I just don't get it. You bring in all these terrific executives, and then you could have set yourself up for a new manager to succeed so well, because it's going to be hard. Like as poor as Wenger has been, and there will be a lot of he'll get a long leash exclusively because Wenger Wenger's been so poor. But that's a big role to try and fill. Like you're talking about a club's no, greatest ever manager. Yeah, for sure. It's almost like replacing Fergie. It's just Wenger's made himself look a fool the past years and Fergie went out winning yeah. a league and then he's gone, well, this team's crap. Yeah. And he's left because so, he knew his legacy was going to die. Uh, to me, it's just a poor decision. And, and from here, like, I would almost go the Liverpool route of seven years ago or whatever now where you concede top four for a year, you rebuild, you rake in Dosh and then spend appropriately. Because that's what they did. And now look, they're buying Nabi Keita, they're buying Virgil van Dijk, they're buying Sadio Mane, they're buying Roberto Firmino, they're buying smart players that fit their system. I, I just... It's a strange decision, is all. I'm sure they'll be good. I'm sure Aubameyang will score lots of goals. He's a great player. But it's not the best decision, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Like, you find that's becoming a bit of, not really an issue, because no one really talks about it. But in the sense that, why don't teams, if you know you've got a new manager coming in, set the manager up more? There's there's a school of thinking that talks about, I shouldn't even say a school of thinking. A lot of the people who do, like, consulting and stuff like that help clubs pick their new manager yeah the biggest thing you always hear is like you need to have a club style outside of who you're appointing like you can't just appoint okay so for example this is something that plagued chelsea and still does Jose Mourinho wants powerhouse players okay like yeah. Six foot four machines. He's less concerned. I mean, look at the players he's bringing into United. Yeah, he's less concerned about technical ability. He just wants to physically dominate you. Chelsea have a team that is set up to physically dominate people. Mourinho leaves. You have Scolari who kind of farts about, and Roman Abramovich gets into this idea of, well, I want Tiki Taka. He wants beautiful attacking play, diminutive number 10s who link up and score great goals and whatever. And Ancelotti comes in, and they slowly start to move away from this like powerhouse midfield of Michael Ballack, Frank Lampard, Michael Essien, to Ramirez, to Juan Mata, to Oscar, um, and you end up with this weird in between where like Chelsea aren't really good at dominating teams physically, but they're not nearly good enough to be this just like free flowing attacking force. 
And then what happens is the free-throwing attacking manager and AVB gets sacked. And what do they do? They replace him with a manager who wants to play big physical football. Mourinho comes back in. Chelsea shipped back to being this physically dominating team. But now all the academy players they've been developing for the past 10 years are not physical gems. Some of them are, but not most of them. They're ball-playing technical geniuses. And then Conti comes in, and he's like not really any of the in-between. But if Conti goes, who does the club appoint? Do they appoint the technical manager? Do they appoint the physical manager? And like that's a very distilled-down view of things, but it's a real issue when you're thinking about appointing the next manager appropriately and talk about setting a manager up for success hire a manager who fits what you have or what you want to be because if you're exactly. if you're arsenal and you go hire jose Mourinho, you are going to lose so much money just shipping off players who don't fit the way he wants to play and buying players that do yeah definitely it, it, it's a legitimate it's a thing like look at what city did how city moved away from physical powerhouses from Manuel Pellegrini and Roberto Mancini. They moved away from Yaya Toure and Kolarov and and whoever to much more technical, smart players. And that's that's just that's how Pep wants to play. But look at the money they lost and look at the money they had to spend to do it. Exactly. And like I don't know, you look at the teams that LVG and whatever David Moyes brought in was like it's such a hybrid. Like Always brought in Fellaini, but then he brought in Mata. That's and there was no true identity. Well, yeah, that you know what? That's the biggest to me. That's the biggest issue that United have faced in the past. Is no since, identity since Fergie has gone. Is they're just not like what? What are they? And now Mourinho's in, and Mourinho signed a new deal till twenty twenty one, and it looks like you're starting to have a more cohesive identity and that's what people are driving me crazy about just obviously like this is nothing to do with what we're talking about but it's just oh united are bad you play ugly football and yes but that's what we do it's it's okay and that's yeah it's okay to play we're winning yeah it's okay to play ugly football and to make games terrible and to turn the midfield into mud if that's how you're going to play but spurs can't do that city can't do that so they would never in theory they should never hire like imagine City. Jose appointing, Mourinho's a bad City manager. Imagine City pointing, appointing Mourinho. Like, what's he gonna do with that team? Exactly, and that's like, I saw something on. I can't remember if it was Reddit or Twitter, but it's like, stop slating Mourinho. He'd be doing the same thing with this Pep team. Well, no, he wouldn't. This Pep team, if he had Pep's players, they'd be getting demolished because he'd try and get them to be physical and. Yeah, they're small. It's just, it's just. But not... then, you have Pep with players like Fellaini and Lukaku's first touch, oh, and Valencia okay. having no left foot, and Chris Smalling can't really pass it, and trying to play tiki taka with these players, it's not going to work. So, you got to start. People have to start understanding. Like, sure, we might not play terrific football, but occasionally we're going to dust teams for nothing. Yeah, I, I think that's. But even when we play bad, we're going to win, and that was the mark of Fergie's teams. Sure, we played attacking football. But we still won when we played like garbage. And there was a lot of games that we played like garbage. It, yeah. Why did, why did Fergie time exist? Because we played like garbage for 85 minutes. And He'd hair dry them from the sidelines. And then we'd go, oh, right, we can score. Yeah. It, it's, 
it's interesting to see and it's it's kind of funny to see how teams transition with new managers like we're talking about um like a Bayern post Pep or Madrid post uh or Madrid post Mourinho like it's it's interesting to see because especially with Pep Pep plays such a unique and demanding style like there's lots of copycats that don't do nearly as good a job as he does so it's Definitely. interesting to see the rebound um speaking of managers and managers leaving Marco Silva was sacked um from Watford yeah. and they've already hired a new manager yeah um, his name's Javi Gracia and he's the old Malaga manager mm-hmm. um so that's interesting um let's move on because we talked about Arsenal I just think it's time. funny that they came in and said oh Marco Silva talked to another club prior and that's why we fired him but you were clearly talking to this other manager if you've appointed him three hours after you've sacked him which I think is the responsible thing to do I think, oh, it's definitely the responsible thing to do, but I think if he's you, looked at another yeah. club, like, oh, yeah, I, I just hate, no, I, I hate football right now. It's ridiculous. I know what you mean. Um, it's turning into a soap opera. Let's let's talk about United and then let's talk about Sanchez. Yeah, let's do it. Um, United get a result by the skin of their um, teeth once again. Yeah. No, I shouldn't say that. You like, like, uh, I don't know, just. You, you're so sus. You're so yeah. suspect. I mean, that's the best way to put it, but that's also what we just said was we played like garbage, but we won. So, like, I, I really can't complain. We got a clean sheet. It's it's one of those where, oh, man, I have no... I, I'm fairly confident. I think we're both fairly confident that this will be the top four for the rest of the year. I think we said that in the last yeah. pod. I think that we, we didn't talk <laughs> well, about From henceforth yeah. shall be known as the, the, lost, the lost pod. pod. But I, I, I think I think we both agreed that this will be the top four. And I think yes. that's I think that's true. I don't I especially with Spurs dropping points today, like it is crazy how much dropped points mean this this year. So I think United are fine. But I think there's legitimate question marks. I think I think there's legitimate question marks. I think you're so I think you're getting away with it at the back almost every game. David De Gea yes. is bailing you out like unsustainably well. <laughs> like I, I was looking at it today. Chelsea United have the two lowest goals conceded in the league. They both have sixteen. United's XG conceded is 29. That is obnoxious. So, so, so De Gea is, is a, a solid minus 13, which is unheard of. Like, legitimately unheard of. Um, Give him the golden ball. Over, over a whole season, like, five is really good. Yeah. So the fact that he's 13, it, like, it suggests he'll probably drop off a little bit. Someone will score from 40 yards out. But, like, unsustainably good Chelsea is Definitely. like 19 which is like good and is like about what you would expect from a good defense um I think Burnley's is also quite high but like we're not going to talk about them because they're crazy um but Oy! Oy! Oh! Chris always just broken the goal Oh, you've switched over to Leon PSG. At halftime, yeah. Oh my God. Okay, people watching the pod, check out Kurzawa's volley against Leon. 
Oh, I'm going to Twitter right oh, now to pull this up. Oh my days. Anyways, back to what I was talking about. Um, your defense is unsustainably good right now, and, and and not like unsustainably good like you're playing well. Just it's unlikely that you'll continue to be this lucky. Yeah. Um. So I think that's really concerning. I think the fact that you're really, really, really not conceding a dearth of like good chances every match is just like kind of unfortunate. Um. Does Sanchez help that? Probably. Um, it'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. Have, um, have you seen this yet? Like, I don't know. No, I'm trying to find the bloody go, video. Go, 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 to, go to Reddit Soccer. I bet you it's there already. Really, yeah? Yeah, it's there already. R slash soccer? Yeah. It's the, if you go to new, it's the first link. Uh, <laughs> I, I freaking love Reddit, man. It is... It, it, it's been up just, like two minutes already like that's it, it, it's they killed it it's basically they like have the live stream and then they just clip it and send it out yeah basically um watch this yeah let's just let's just put it on hold till we see this um yeah i don't know neditor are <laughs> i don't know I don't feel. I thought you were gonna say Krizara's broken someone's leg. By the way, no, he he has like ripped the net off with a volley. Uh, I I just I'm not. I, I never feel confident watching United play. Does that make sense? Oi! Right. <sighs> right. So for those of you who aren't gonna go watch this, basically PSG like good build up play. They break it down the right. Danny Alves dinks it in. And it's like perfectly weighted, and it looks like the defender is gonna flick it over Kurzawa, and he just hammers a volley, like puts his foot through the ball, and it goes bar down, roof of the net, just absolute laser beam, laser beam. Um, so that's good. So for for those of you who like soccer, go watch that because it's pretty hype. Um, if you're a football purist, that's like soft core, just whatever ping, for just you. Ping. Um, okay, so we've been thoroughly distracted. Back to United. <laughs> Are you concerned? Is there a finish to that question? No. Like, uh, I, 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 like, Am I concerned? Okay, so I, like, right now, I watch Chelsea in there. Chelsea are in crisis. And I'm not concerned. Because I, I watch and I'm like, okay, three nil-nils in a row... They're not playing well, but they're still creating more than enough to win most of those games. Like, Marat is just genuinely terrible lately. And, like, even when we don't play well, we're not losing. So that's good. And the fact that we're defending extremely well again is nice to see. Like, yes. we are back to defending as well as we did last year, which was obnoxiously good. Okay. So I'm not really concerned. When I watch United, I'm like, oh, they won 1-0, but, like, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of games I look at it and I'm like, I just don't think it doesn't fill me with confidence when I watch United play. Like, I think there are still very clear issues that aren't being addressed at all. Like, it's Mourinho's not really changing anything to address them. It doesn't look like you're signing players to address those issues. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens in the summer because he's 
you know how he is, right? He sets his targets yeah. for J- J- specific J- issues yes. in the summer. Yes. His dossier. So he'll obviously have a few players at each position. Maybe he's read my articles about who could fill the slots. Um. So if he doesn't address the issues, which I still consider issues, mm-hmm. then you'll after be, the summer, be I'll be. Then the concern starts to set in because we've given him, uh, theoretically, we've given him a contract extension until twenty twenty one. If he doesn't do a classic Mourinho and bolt halfway through, then I mean this this would be this this is usually the year he wins the league and next year's the year it all falls apart. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. That's an underlying storyline that I don't really want to talk about because it's just more of a soap opera with football. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's it's not there, but it's there. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, when we click, it looks so good sometimes. And we've got, like, we've got Luke Shaw and Valencia bombing down the wings. And Pogba and the flashy players are moving the ball well. It goes wide. Lukaku bullies his center back. And he finishes. And it looks good. And we can play well. Yeah. It's just... It's disjointed like remember when we were flying at the start of the season mm-hmm. and it was looking like we were on par with city i said something like i think it was on the podcast i said something along the lines of there's a cohesion yeah between the group where it's like oh they're friends and they like to play together when before it was like you had the old english players and then you had the spanish yeah. crew but now everyone's got and as stupid as it is everyone's got their little handshake but like even Pogba and De Gea. A, that's a big that's a hallmark of Mourinho squads is is yeah when and, when he's doing his best like they're very bonded they're very yeah. tight-knit and through our little phase here where we've played some garbage stuff like three draws in a row etc etc they didn't look disjoint. They didn't. They looked disjointed. Like Lukaku wasn't celebrating. He didn't look like he was enjoying himself. Pogba was acting like Pogba acted like a baby against Burnley, mm-hmm. which was last Pogba of last year, not Pogba of this year. That was that's been a presence on the field. Um, just when we look like a cohesive unit, you can tell that these guys are enjoying themselves and we play well. So it's who we bring in, whether they're going to be part of this unit. Or whether we start to create some awkward little divide. Yeah. Which is why I really liked the Griezmann rumors. Not only is he world class, but he's literally Pugba's best friend. Yeah. So you know he's going to slide into that group. He provides something different. He provides, despite we, ha- we have a ton of powerhouses, he provides a tricky little diminutive guy that you have to keep your eye on because you don't know where he is all the time. Yeah. Like... So, yes, I'm concerned, but I'm concerned that we have the pieces and they're not coming together more so than why are why don't why aren't we playing well? Why aren't we buying the right players? I think we're a couple players away still, obviously we need a top top class center back unless Lindelof and Bai get it together and play really, really well together, which yeah. we still they are yet to play a minute of football together Bai and Lindelof? so we speculated. Yeah, they are yet to play a minute together on the same field. Actually, that's as a center back pairing, they may have one of them might have played right back. I think they've played to together like a, in a Chris, three. 
or in a three, but they've never played. It looks like our future is in a four-two-three-one or a four-three-three. Yeah. Mourinho, so, so probably they've never they've never played as a one and two center back. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it's like I don't know, like that could easily work and be exactly what everyone's expected it to be when we signed Lindelof, or that can be garbage and we're stuck cycling Phil Jones, Chris Mulling, Marcus Rojo by Lindelof, Twanzebe, Fosu Mensa. Holy crap, that's a lot of depth, but we're not doing much with it. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about the obvious elephant in the room with yeah. United. Um, the Sanchez deal. We, we had a really terrific long conversation about this yesterday when we were planning out what we were going to talk about today. I know us planning, it's rare. Um, never really goes what, the way we expect it to though. What do you think, how do I, how do I phrase this where we can be smart? What do you think about the Sanchez deal? What, what okay. do you think it's let's okay, let's let's start short term before we get stuck in the weeds. Is it a good deal? Yes or no, and why one sentence? Short term, yes. He is undoubtedly a quality player and he can create when Pugba is not from a different position on the field. I would say no because you financially hamstrung yourself the next five years. It's five years short term. I was thinking like a year and a half. So let's yeah, I'd say five well, I'd say five years is long term in football, but so let's let's expand. Um I mean from my point of view, there's the obvious that Sanchez is an elite talent. He has, yes. over the past three years, been one of the best players in the Premier League. Um, I would say probably the second or third best winger in the league every year. Um, he can score. He can pass. He's good in Europe. He's obviously a proven Premier League player, which is you pay a premium for. Um, he can play on the left. He can play on the right. He can play up top. He can play behind the striker which I think are all really beneficial things. He's clearly a hard worker. He's got a pretty good track record when it comes to injury, which is huge. Uh, so obviously you're getting all those things. But I think there's some very serious question marks about where you use him and how you use him. Um, I think if he's just going to play on the right, sure, fine. Um I think there were still absolutely more pressing issues that you could spend half a million pounds a week on. Um, to me, and Gary Neville came out with a an interesting with a tweet about this yesterday. He said it was something about oh Sanchez having his medical at United, and he was like oh add another add another five thousand pounds onto the deal. Now it's one hundred and eighty million and yeah. five thousand pounds. And I get where he's coming from that people are really nitpicking the finances of these this deal. I think it's warranted, um, and, and and I'm not saying that because like obviously I dislike United, but I think it's warranted because this is kind of a landmark deal when it comes to football. We've never really had a top player in the world essentially run down their contract to get paid. 
Like, this has never really happened in football. Like, we have the Bosman ruling, which allows for free transfers when a contract was up and um, things like that. And, like, we had, okay, you yeah. had Danny Ings refuse to sign a new deal um, and go to, but it's Danny to, to Liverpool. You had Barkley. I'm convinced that Barkley walked out of the, the Chelsea medical so he could recover at Everton and probably get more wages because Chelsea weren't paying a, as much of a fee. Um but like when we're talking about top players, like there there is no there is no Kevin Durant letting his contract run out with OKC so he can make forty million dollars a year. This is no yeah like Stephen Stamkos in the NHL. Yeah, this is no like Stamkos, football players or, every year. Yeah, this is no Stamkos. This is no Kovalchuk. This is no NFL player signing a ten year hundred. Yeah, it's groundbreaking in soccer. This is new. This is new to us, and this is this is something that I think Arsene Wenger actually commented on a couple of years ago. He's like, with fees and fees going up, you're going to see a lot more of that money going to the player because players are going to say, well, if you're not going to let me go when I'm on a five-year deal, I'm going to sign a two-year deal. And after two years, I'm going to go, and I'm going to get a fat check. And obviously, that yeah. runs the risk of, well, what if you break your leg and you never play again? You'd much rather be on a five-year deal making £200,000 a week than a two-year deal. But... Definitely. I think we're looking at a 29-year-old who realistically it's his last big contract. He's got it's four and a half years, so it'll be rest of this season and four more, so it'll be until uh, 2022 by the time he's done. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a 34-year-old Alexis Sanchez making half a million pounds a week. It's, yeah, and the way he plays, you know he's going to drop before he's 34. Yeah, and, and I see a lot of people saying, oh, but he takes such good care of himself. Like, yeah, so does Ronaldo, but I wouldn't be paying Ronaldo half a million pounds a week right now. He, he, he's become so one-dimensional. Like, I, I feel like I shouldn't be slating Ronaldo. He's still unbelievable. But, like, if you're going to tell me Ronaldo is the same player this year that he was even last year, the difference between 31 and 32. Really? No way. Yeah. Um, the reason I say financially hamstrung is, yes, United makes so much money they can spend a stupid amount. Stupid amount. Yeah. But I don't think... I think it has greater implications in terms of contract negotiations and contract renewals than it does yeah transfer fees and stuff like that like i think transfer fees are still going to be stupid and expensive but i look at it and i see okay de gea will sign a new contract in the relatively short term or he'll get a huge move but de gea is yeah. your best player yeah it's not even close. and he's going to be saying well i want what sanchez is on and that's another two hundred thousand pounds on your wage budget then you have pogba Pogba has three years left on his deal. He's making 290. There's another 100 grand. Then Lukaku. Like, Lukaku seemingly thinks he's the greatest striker to ever play the game, despite not scoring in like 15 matches. But I bet you he's going to ask for a fat raise as well. Then you're talking about squad players like Jesse Lingard is on a £100,000 a week deal. And now all of a sudden, like, you're. You know where it gets scary? Where? You look at our players that are coming into their own in the next couple of years. You look at Marcus Rashford is on 20,000 pounds a week. Yeah. He's going to want an extension soon. Andreas Pereira, is a, we signed him to a new year, new deal. I don't know what that's on. 
Tony Marshall, who is our best player right now, our best goal scorer, at least, if Pugba isn't, he's making 65 grand a week. If Jesse Lingard's on 100, if I'm Tony Marshall, I want, I want 120. Yeah, easy. Yeah. So I think, um, I think yeah, it's... like we have a bunch of players that are going to sign extensions that are going to look at that and go, yeah, I'm not as good as Alexis Sanchez, but I'm definitely not a quarter of as good as Alexis Sanchez. Yeah. I'm two, I'm two thirds. I'm three quarters of Alexis Sanchez. Yeah. So pay me. Think, and yeah, go. I think what part of me, part of me is inclined to say what you'll see happen is clubs will have smaller squads. Is yes. instead of having 30 senior players with a wage budget of like 70% of your turnover, you'll have a squad of 23 senior players and you'll have seven yes. youth players. And the seven youth Definitely. players will eat all the garbage minutes that you need them to. Um, well, you look at what Real Madrid's been doing. They Their whole bench for the last few years has pretty much been essentially and barca do the same yeah, thing La Liga, La Liga, and, yeah. and liverpool are starting to do the same thing they give a lot of their garbage minutes to young players who aren't making very much um and that has allowed them despite having a significantly lower revenue because they're liverpool are quite new to the commercial game big boys yeah. um like that's started allowing them to compete with city financially they outspent City on Virgil van Dijk. They outspent Bayern Munich on Naby Keita. And add in the fact that they have smart executives, like, okay, they can compete financially. United have historically been terrible at structuring transfer deals. They, yep. They've always gone the route of, well, we make more than everyone else, so we're allowed to spend inefficiently. But imagine if you spent your money efficiently. Yeah, like, where would we be if we had... You would be really buckled Munich. down in the last. Yeah, you, if 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 you, at the the end of Fergie's tenure, went and got the best executives in the world, and the best director of football, and you got a manager who was a coach, not a manager, a coach, none of this David Moyes nonsense, like the like at Chelsea, Antonio Conte's not a manager; he's the first team coach. If you if you went and got the best executives, you legitimately could have ended it. You nobody would have caught you, because we're talking about when Fergie left in two thousand thirteen, the other Premier League clubs weren't even close to your revenues. It's closer now. City are there, Chelsea are there, Arsenal are there, but like we're talking about Arsenal had almost a billion pounds in debt because of their stadium, at that time because the Emirates was only like three years old when Fergie retired. Um, Chelsea were not spending the way they used to. City hadn't really opened the... I mean, they had opened the the checkbooks, but not the way they do now. Liverpool were not as smart. Spurs were not as smart. You could have killed it, and that, that opportunity is gone now. Definitely. And we talk about Sanchez. I I just think it's dumb. It's short-sighted. It hurts us. It, yes, it's very short-sighted. I don't want to call it panic buying. I don't think it's panic because buying. Because I want to call... No, I want to call Angel Di Maria panic buying. I don't even think Angel Di Maria was panic buying. I thought Angel Di Maria was a great deal at the time, and it just didn't work out. But we played him in the wrong position. We played him as a lone striker one game. Yeah, that's, that, that was kind of weird. 
Um, where it hurts for me the most is maybe this is my heart coming through over my brain, but look at the players that have been linked with United. Like we're getting back to that stage where it's not, oh, we're going to go get Ander Herrera and hope he's good. Oh, we're going to go. Now it's, we're back in the Champions League. We're competing for the Premier League title. Mm-hmm. We have a manager that, despite being controversial, a lot of players respect his CV. Yeah. Look at the players we're linked with. Griezmann. Dybala. Huge. Like, these, are, these are big names, but now they're like, I'm coming in as I'm approaching my prime, and I'm just as good as Alexis Sanchez. I'm, you're going to get more good years out of me. I deserve more than him. But now we're handcuffed. Because if all these extensions need to happen, which they do, if you look at United's contract situation, and not this year, but next year for sure, because we just gave one-year extensions to a ton of people. Mm-hmm. But the year after that, 2020, 2021, now we're talking issues. Yeah. And, like, it's just very, like, not unsettling, but it's just kind of upsetting to see how much money we're going to have to spend to get good players now because now it's always going to look like we're the money club and we're not the money club despite like we are still Manchester United that's the thing about history is it stays and that's why Liverpool talk about it and now we're becoming Liverpool in the sense that we're going to talk about it forever because we have it yeah and it's taking away the appeal of playing for Manchester United under the lights at Old Trafford everyone who comes who's a big name is now going to have that asterisk beside their name going Look how much money he's making. Yeah. And that's that's what really sucks the most, is just knowing that big players are always going to be questioned on why they're there. But, like, if you want to come, then come. I don't care. Like, I'll, it's not my money. If Griezmann wants 500k a week and United can swing it, take it. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to read two things to you. Okay. One is from our text message conversation yesterday that I think yeah. succinctly sums up my point. And the other I'm going to read is um, from an article by a man named Joe Tweedy who does uh, some terrific pieces on Chelsea for anyone who's interested. Um, my, my favorite piece of his is he went to Vitessa last year when Lewis Baker was there um, and, and went and met the Baker family and met Lewis Baker and interviewed him and talked about his role at the Chelsea Academy and his time at Vitesse. And it, it was just a really wonderful piece um, for someone whose horn he has tooted for a very long time. Um, that is a dive. And uh, and he's published a, a recent piece called The Roman Era 2.0 Concept Football. Um, and he talks about where he thinks Chelsea should go. And I'll, I'll read a small excerpt of that. Um, so what I said yesterday was, I think it's a terrible deal. I thought it was a fine deal at £250,000 a week and in the summer. I think, but you've made a 29-year-old who isn't even in the top 10 players in the world and doesn't play a position you really even need the fourth highest paid player in the world. I'm sorry, what? Like if you went and spent £100 million and £250,000 a week to get Milinkovic-Savage or a top center back or a more defensive midfielder, I would get it more. Where does he even play? At the 10? And now you have to play Pogba Deepa, where he's been mostly clue all year. On the right, well, now you still need someone to play next to Matic, who's more mobile and can contribute in the attacking phase of play. It just doesn't solve anything, and I get adding quality when quality is available, 
but normally you don't shatter your wage structure to quote unquote just add quality. De Gea is getting half a mil next extension. Bai is getting 250k next extension. Grease will now went 400k. And I think that 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 sums up what I think pretty aptly. Um, yeah. From from the the other article, it, it's it's something I've talked about. This is what I was talking about with with smaller squads. Is essentially he he describes it as the academy pipeline as a cornerstone of the strategic direction. Um, you want the academy graduates to become successful first team squad members where you hopefully produce the occasional gem a Andreas Christensen, as well as some good first-team players and rotational options, like Jesse Lingard. Where you create a core of academy players, it reduces the need to invest significant money on squad depth, which Chelsea have been terrible for recently. Could you convert the money spent on Drinkwater, Bakayoko, Zappacosta, and Ross Barkley into a world-class wingback and an elite midfield prospect under 25? The idea being that you establish a group of academy players who can contribute over a five-year period. The gems, maybe you find three players in total, form a core that would be supplemented by a continual pipeline of academy graduates. Those graduates may want regular first-team football, so after two or three years in the squad, they can fetch a Nathan Ake-sized fee at 24. Once they're sold, in theory, the next batch of players is ready to take over their rotational role. So you create a clear pathway for academy players to feature, develop, and take their opportunity. You should be able to find some starters and quad players given the quality of your academy. Financially, it makes absolute sense. You're talking about adding squad players. You don't you don't need to go buy Fellaini. You don't need to go buy Rojo. You don't need to go buy Romero. You add depth through your academy, and it saves you. One, it saves you a shitload of wages because academy players yeah. are on less money because they're 21. And they sh- it saves yeah. you a ton in transfer fees. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Football's gone mad. Know. Yeah. Um, okay, we've just ranked on United a lot. So I feel like it is my duty here to talk about some of the dead weight that we can shell out. Yeah. Like, hypothetically, let's say we shed, or we take on that that um, core structure or whatever that, what's the guy's name? Deanie? Joe Tweed. Tweedy. Tweed. Uh, was just talking about. Okay. So no more role players making ridiculous amount of money. And that, to me, that was a hallmark of the Fergie era. Yeah. Was was your role players were all club trained. Like exactly. Raphael and Fabio. Were they they I was talking with someone about this yesterday, about how poor they were. But like they were serviceable squad members, and when they weren't serviceable Definitely. anymore, or they wanted to play more, they were sold. Exactly. But go on. Um so just dead weight we can shed. Romero can go. And is replaced Joel- by Joel Pereira can sure. be a backup goalie. Sure. Like, realistically, that's how, how he can often, play in the FA Cup. How often does your backup keeper play? Exactly. He can play in the FA Cup. We sell him on, Sam Johnstone comes back from loan. Yeah. We sell him on, Kieran O'Hara can play. Well, and that's, It doesn't matter. It's the FA Cup. That, well, that's like, the thing to me is you look at Sam Johnstone. Sam Johnstone has been Villa's number one. 
Yeah, so, and we're looking at turning a profit on to, them now. To me, to me, why would you not? I, I get playing him when they're younger, right? But why would you not bring him back at twenty or twenty-one, unless you think he's going to be good enough to start for you? And the reality is, there's almost a zero percent chance he's better than Dev De Gea at any point in his yeah. career. Bring him back as a backup, then you don't need to waste an international spot on on Romero. Bring him back as a backup, keep him till he's 24, and if he says, no, you know what, I need to go play, then he goes pl- and plays. Then you sell him. You sell him for £3 million. Or exactly. £5 million, pounds, or £10 million, pounds, and you sell him. And I get goalkeepers are a little bit different because it's like it's not like there's any rotational minutes really. Like there's the Capital One Cup and or Carabao Cup and stuff like that, um, which is fine. He can get those minutes. Yeah. And and then guess what? Five years from now, I'm sure in the intervening five years before he's sold, you've produced one serviceable backup keeper. Exactly. And if and if and then you, if you produce someone who's going to be better than De Gea, then guess what? You can start grooming them to take De Gea's place. And if you didn't. All the money you've saved on not paying Sam Johnstone eighty thousand pounds a week and not paying twelve million pounds on the transfer fee, you can go spend on an elite goalkeeping prospect. Exactly. So here we go to the back four. Hypothetically, say our back four is when we're fully fit is Luke Shaw. Yeah. Uh, Lindelof turns into a good player. Bailly turns into a good player, and we have a new right back. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with keeping Phil Jones because he's not on a ridiculous contract. He might want more, but he's an England international. You can't dispute that right now. Yeah. He he can play and saving his legs by playing him as a third center back will save everyone's legs if they're all injury prone. But then you can play Dimitri Mitchell instead of Marcus Rojo slash Daily Blind slash Matteo Darmian cut their wages. Played well, Dimitri that's, that's Mitchell on the left. Is, is you you have like six fullbacks and six senior center backs, and you play four at the back. We have. You said six first team center backs exactly. So if we keep, Bai Lindelof Jones. Yeah, even Smalling. We even have Tuanza, even Smalling maybe, but Tuanza B looks very serviceable from the games that I've seen him play. Yeah. Fosu Mensa is coming yeah. back. He looks very yeah. serviceable. He can play. He can be our backup right back, if we sign someone big and can't swing the wages. He can play there. Twansby can play there. That's fine. Moving on to the midfield, we don't need Fellaini's wages. We don't need Herrera's wages. If we have Matic, we sign someone world class to play beside Matic, and then we have Pogba in front, or Pogba drops and we sign someone to play in front of him. We have McTominay, and I forget their names but there's a couple midfielders one with the reserves and one with the u18s right now who are both very good players uh i presume and hal gomez is playing higher <laughs> up the pitch in this theoretical yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he's a number he's a yeah. he's a number 10 See, so to me like if we're talking united like i think you have to keep one of herrera and fellini but not both especially with carrick gone i like to me i would keep herrera because i think he's a little bit more versatile than fellini but I think if Mourinho was going to pick one, he would pick Fellaini, which is fine. Like, you do you. But I think you keep one. And then you're talking yeah. about Pogba, Herrera, let's say Herrera, Pogba, Herrera, Matic, 
as kind of your three senior players for two spots. Um, two and a half spots, depending where it could where be worse. Plays. And then you have McTominay, you have the new signing, you have, and, and then you're talking about like garbage minutes when you're in a crisis or like garbage minutes in the cup when you're going to rotate heavily. That's not so hard. Um, and then you look at the wingers for United. Oh, definitely. It's the same thing you said before. You have now you have Sanchez, Martial, uh, Rashford. You have um, I'm honestly not. You have Andres Pereira can play wide, can also play number ten. Like it's it's yeah. And historically, That's what I'm saying he's coming back. He's on a new deal. Yeah. Uh, historically, I think United have done a really good job of of actually like using their academy to supplement their first team. Um, but I think you could do better, especially. Yeah, at the we back. could definitely do better. The back. But that's a Mourinho thing. I it, don't think he particularly trusts young players at the back. No, he doesn't. Which is fine because these guys are going to learn mm-hmm. and they're going to play, and hopefully they play. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Hopefully. They play. But my only saving grace with the Alexis Sanchez deal is hopefully this means we start buying players that fit and we get rid of all these utility belt players. And I find there's a place for utility belt players. They're definitely... Every, like, every squad... If you can play three to four positions... Every squad needs those kind of glue guys who can make it work when you're desperate. Every, everyone need every, exactly every but we just have yeah. too many right now but the thing is and i think this is part of the issue with part part of the issue that i have with especially with chelsea because chelsea are really bad for it is why would you play for example why would you play uh i don't know let me think about a, a re- okay why would you play azpilicueta at right wing back when He's clearly best in the three. You have an elite fullback prospect on the bench in Dujon Sterling. And you have, I don't know, maybe you have no other center back. So you'd have to play like John Ivan McKell at center back when he was still around. Like, I just don't, yeah, I just don't really get the unwillingness to try certain players like and and I'm I've been really on tilt about this lately because so for example Charlie Masanda has a terrific assist to Victor Moses yesterday um in the yeah. Cheka trade trophy which is like the the old Johnston's paint trophy um all the Premier League reserve teams are in that so he plays with the U23s they beat Portsmouth for a good League 1 team they beat Portsmouth 2-1. He scores both goals playing center midfield in a three in a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3. And he balled as a center midfielder. And he's a winger, but he can play midfield. And he's played midfield for a long time, but Conte would never play him there in a midfield three. And the one time he does, he does it for 10 minutes against uh, Brighton, and he is terrific. And then we talk about, okay, what about... Um, so yeah, like I'm on tilt about that. But then the other thing is Callum Hudson-Odoi, who's one of the best players in the academy right now, has literally been on fire at reserve level. Like we're talking about, I think he has like 14 goals in his last 10 games or something like that. He's He can play up front. He can play wide. He can play just behind the striker. Like he's so versatile. 
And then someone asked Conti, oh, you're playing a meaningless home friendly against Norwich that no one even cares if you lose or not. And he goes, no, he needs another step to play. Like, what is the point? Like, why, why are you going to go get Andy Carroll when you have Tammy Abraham? Or why are you going to go get, I don't know, whoever, when you have so-and-so? Like, it's just, I think a lot of Chelsea supporters would rather stop buying those, like, maybe buys. And, and yeah. instead of buying two 30 million pound players, hoping one of them works out, Buy the sixty million pound player, knowing they're going to work out, and have your backup plan be an academy player. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like these are elite level academies. These like these... it's not like we're a Southampton or we're not like a Benfica producing all these world class talents. But you have to be good to get into these academies. You're not signing professional contracts Ch- at sixteen. Ch- Chelsea's academy, if you're a useless footballer. Chelsea's U18s have not lost at home in two and a half years. That is obnoxious. In, in 60 matches, something like that, they have not lost a home. And they steamroll teams. Like, these are legitimately good, good, good footballers. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I just... The harm is in the ego, if you ask me. It's like, because if they come in, play bad, make a mistake, you lose a game... The manager wants to be doesn't want to say, doesn't want to hear why'd you play a kid when you could have played him. But to me, it's but it's if not a even that. consummate professional makes a mistake, it's not even that. Like I just think there's there's, I think there's a lot of pressure to succeed, and it's very easy to trust a full international ahead of a young player. But like yeah, and especially at Chelsea, given the unlikeliness that you'll keep your job longer than three years but like i don't know be brave if you get sacked you still get paid Who yeah cares? i don't i don't want mateo darmian soaking up minutes against garbage like if we're playing yeovil mateo darmian's perfect in the premier league when we need to defend a league because he's got some size at wing yeah. back he can clear with his head he can defend one-on-one decently well but he's useless but if he plays against Yeovil on Friday, like what's the point? The, the, yeah. What like what is the we we're gonna have the ball for eighty five minutes? That's, I, yeah, I, I. He can't do anything with it. He's proven he's a full international based on the fact that he can't do it with the ball. He does it without yeah. the ball, and why not play Tuanzebe? Sure, he's a bit out of position, but he's quality on the ball. We've seen that. The game he played in center back against might have been Swansea in the league. I don't know, but he stepped in the midfield comfortably. He's a good player. Just let him get touches with first team members. Yeah, I just it doesn't make sense. I just especially, uh, I don't know. I really, I really don't get it. I don't see how. And we've we've talked about this before. Ways to incorporate young players better in the Premier League. Like I think if you add bigger benches and you where you have to have a certain amount of homegrown players, like if I was two 0 up with ten minutes left, like eighteen year old on immediately, immediately, like yeah, you give what we say, give like four subs, but one of them has to be 
if you use four, one of them has to be a youth English player. Yeah, it has to, it has to be like a club trained player or something like that. And then yeah. we talked about um, we talked about stuff like having instead of a, a, a squad of eighteen, have a squad of twenty five, but the last five spots have to be club trained players under twenty one. Um, things like yeah. that, or or there's talk about in MLS now about incentivizing incentivizing playing homegrown players so they've talked about um having the equivalent of a homegrown lottery so at the beginning of the year there's three million dollars or 30 million dollars or 10 million dollars of allocation money so for people who don't know mls there's funny money that you can use to make your salary cap bigger um have have a homegrown player table so essentially at the end of the year all the minutes of homegrown players are added up the team that gets the most gets 50 percent of the pot the team that has the second most gets whatever or just scale it appropriately so everyone gets a certain amount so that way when you have teams that are tanking and admittedly mls is different because you can't get relegated so there's essentially no risk to tanking but tank your when you tank your season you play young players or when you're comfortable in games, you play young players. It, it, it just, it's really frustrating. I know we've gotten well off track because we were talking about Sanchez, but. Well, we said what we needed to about Sanchez. It, it, like... It's, it makes me uncomfortable and it's really frustrating to see, especially, I don't know, especially when I've, youth football has always been something that's been really close to me. Like, cause I, I, I followed Baker and Boga and Masanda and Rubes and Chalaba. Like those are all, that was like the Academy generation I watched because they were all my age and they were all, I was like, man, I want to be them. So when I look and I see these guys have won everything there is to win at youth, at youth level. And if they were at a different club, if they were at Southampton, if they were at Fulham, if they were at, one of the other top academies like i it's frustrating yeah ruben loftus cheek has been a first team player for four seasons and he only has like three thousand minutes played as a senior footballer nathaniel chalaba is almost 25 and he has less than 100 games played in his career like yeah it's it's ridiculous the only way to put it is if they were at the Southampton Academy, they'd be playing for Liverpool right now. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so let's let's call it there. It's been a long one. Um, yeah. This one will hopefully not get lost somewhere on my computer. And uh, you'll hear this. So if you do, uh, like, subscribe, share, favorite, retweet, all of the above. Give us five-star reviews on iTunes. I don't know if anyone does that or on Google Play. Um, we'll be back again next week at some point. What we'll be talking about, who knows? Winter transfer window. It's always a fun time. Uh, Luke? It's almost deadline day next yeah, week. Luke, so pleasure we'll as always. See. Uh, Absolutely. See buddy. you later. Okay, stop on three. One, two, three, stop.